our series at the moment is Songs from the Heart, and we're looking at this idea of, of worship, and we really want to just, dig, we, want to, we spend, I don't know, 12 weeks, something like that, just really digging into this. This is something we're going to do for eternity. We should really look at it and figure out what it's all about. And so just to recap, we've picked kind of a bit of a mantra, not a mantra, we've picked a passage in Scripture really just to, to sort of give you something to hang your thoughts on. And uh, so it's this idea that it's heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want you to keep these themes in your head. Love the Lord your God. I guess it's, it's hanging on this first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So there's some themes that will keep coming up as we dig around and look at this idea of worship. Your heart, your volition, your soul, your, this like kind of deep seat of your emotions, your mind. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks, this idea that it's not just all down to emotions and everything else. There is some stuff that we need to know. This stuff needs to be true. We need to think this stuff out and keep it in our minds. And actually, that there is a physical response with this. It is with all your strength. There are some physical attributes to worship, and we're going to explore those as well. But just for just now, we're going to stay really with the idea of, and I guess based on last week, we're going to stay with the idea of the heart. That's where we're going to, that's where we're going to be. And the Bible isn't naive when it comes to this, this, sort of, this sort of stuff. When maybe you're reading the Bible, and sometimes this is what we do in the, 20, we're in the 21st century. In the 21st century, we look at the Bible, and we, we try and read science into it. And we think the heart's the organ that pumps the, the blood around, right? That make, make, makes us have energy to run about and that sort of stuff. The Bible's got it wrong. The Bible's, the Bible's never tried to be a science book. It's a book that tells us about God. And when the Bible refers to the heart, pretty much all the time it's talking about like the, the hub, the control center, our will, this kind of guiding force in, in, our, in our lives. That's what the heart's talking about when it's in the Bible. And God says to us in this passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, he says, I want, I want that. Think about what, think about what our hearts cause us, cause us to do. Just think about that for a second. There's a few phrases that might help us just get over the line and think this stuff through. We'll, we'll say it occasionally. Maybe you said it more when you were a teenager. You'll say something like, she stole my heart. You would say that, wouldn't you? You would say, she stole my heart. And, and I've got good friends of mine who, who live here, but their hearts are somewhere else. And they will always say that, oh yeah, but my heart is in... Scotland or my heart is in somewhere else. People will say that. And I can see a few of you nodding thinking, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. And, and it's kind of their hearts are just moved towards that place. And what that actually does, a, a real friend of mine actually had their hearts moved in this way just watching a, a documentary on Africa. And ever since that happened, you know, the poverty in Africa just completely melted towards Africa. And now not everything in, in her life has shifted that way, but every, you know, there's a real strong influence. It's like they've been nudged around. So having their hearts moved has just changed how they think about all this, all this sort of stuff. I, re- I remember you know, being a teenager and having my heart stolen and just the way that it just reorientates your whole thinking about everything. And all of a sudden, your parents and your friends are like, what has happened to, what's happened to you? Where have you gone? And you haven't gone anywhere. It's just that your heart has been moved. And when, when the Bible talks about worship, heart, soul, mind, and strength. What God's saying is, I don't, I don't want the superficial bits and bobs. I'll take them, 
but I am looking for a heart response. I want the, I want the ship to be steered by me. I want it to come from that deep place right within you that directs all the traffic. The way that your heart's moved by a girl or by a cause, I want you to think about your relationship with me in these terms. And there's problems with us when it comes to the heart, aren't there? Last week, I hope I didn't cause any offense when I said that human beings are pretty shallow. Remember we said that Jesus said that God, man looks at the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. What he's saying there is kind of, guys, you, you can be pretty shallow. You spend a lot of time looking at superficial stuff, not what's going on right in at the heart. And in this instance, I want us to think about the fact that our hearts get hard. Our hearts are hardened. In life, generally, we're quick to become cynical and skeptical, but particularly with reference to God. You read the Bible, like you read what the prophets say, they nearly all bring it up. Your hearts are hardened. You're kind of doing the religious stuff, but your hearts are hardened. And it's probably, I'm just, I want to hang my thoughts on the reference in Hebrews 3, 7. And I guess in Hebrews, there's this church, this is the early church, and it's starting to burst out, you know, in, into, into the world and there's this real Hebrews, like a book of warnings, you know, be careful to do this, be careful to do this. And it says just watch your hearts. And in fact, there's a proverb that kind of really helps us just sum this up. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, more importantly than anything else, guard your hearts for everything that you do flows from it. So true, isn't it? When our hearts are moved, it really changes how we see everything. And we have a problem our hearts get hard. So we're going to be back. Pop the text up, guys. We're going to be back in Isaiah 6. And there'll be a little bit of repetition. But those, those, those of you that were really paying attention last week will have noticed that it was a poor sermon uh, in, in terms of not getting to the end of what I was supposed to say. You might have thought it was a poor sermon regardless of the fact that I didn't finish. But I definitely didn't get to the end. So we got to see Isaiah. Should we recreate a bit of this, the image? We got to see Isaiah on his knees. And there's this imagery, and I guess if you flick through it, you, you'll remember that Isaiah walks into the temple and he sees the exalted God. He sees God high and exalted on a throne, and the, the angels are stood round about him with six wings, and they, they can't, they, two wings, they don't look at him. They're like this, I'm not, I'm not holy enough to look at him, but they're, they're shouting, holy, holy, holy. And I kind of got to the point where I was saying, this is, this is what worship is. It's, it's seeing the glory of God and falling on your knees. And the truth of it is, and this is where we're going to get to this week, is that that's only half the story. We're going to see at the end of the passage the way that it's not just about the fact that God is, is, is bursting with glory and his holiness could just consume all of us. It's the fact that he is that and yet he is gracious. So for a second, we're just going to, you're going to bear with me. I'm going to recover some of the ground, but that's all right. You can handle two fairly similar sermons. You're a good bunch. I know that. So we're going to, we're going to flip it on its head a little bit. So before I was really banging on about Isaiah and just can you imagine it from Isaiah's perspective? And we're going to be there a bit, but I want us to really see this through God's eyes. Can you imagine what this is like without being heretical for God? We've got, this, we've got God high and exalted on a throne and he is looking down, think about this, he is looking down at the worshippers, the created beings, us worshipping and we do worship, not just us here, all the people in escape, they're, they're worshipping right now. And around about, we are all worshipping. And we ever wonder what God thinks of this? Because Isaiah's glimpse 
that we got. It's not just a few pages in a book. Isaiah glimpsed the reality of the situation. It's just a page in the middle of Isaiah, but that is how it is now. God was there in the temple. God is, and I'm going to pause for dramatic effect. God is here looking for people who are worshippers. And he looks around a bit puzzled. I, I think, I don't, I'm guessing, he'd be a bit puzzled. These beings he's created, this, it's so obvious that he's in control. It's so obvious. He's exalted. The work he's done, it's finished. He's in his glory and he's looking around at people, his creation, trying to work out how to worship. And we're, we're like buying clothes and watching TV and other stuff that's awesome. But it's just missing this great and obvious God. And I want us just to dwell on that for a second. Even people that, that went to the temple, even you read through this, it's great, you read through the stories of the Old Testament, they're always surprised when they actually see God. Like they go to the temple every day, all of them, they're always like, whoa, didn't expect that. Sometimes we're like that at church, aren't we? We rock up every Sunday. God, pausing again for dramatic effect, God is here. Paul said earlier on, by his spirit. And this should send, a, there should be some, there should be tingles. There should be that kind of thing going on. God is here. His word, you ever, you ever got to this when we read a verse in the, in the Bible and it just cuts you in two? It's, just a, it's a book, pages, words written down, and yet it is alive and it just beats us up, changes us around. We can meet God in that book. God's spirit, two or three are gathered together. Two or, two or three of us are gathered together and God's spirit is here. And it sort of poses a real challenge to us, poses a real challenge I guess, to the ministry team sometimes. Jeremiah was told, Jeremiah 29, you seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We are worshipers. You might not have realized it yet, but the reason you, you got through the door was because you came to seek God. The reason that, that people get into ministry is to bring people to God. The reason that God establishes church is that people would get to meet God. We come here just now to meet God. Back into the story. He, God sees, God is here. And again, I want shivers down the spines. God sees everything. Remember the story in Isaiah, God looks at him and Isaiah is like, woe is me. He says, I'm broken. And why is he broken? Because he realizes it's God that's created the, the heavens and the earth and everything else looks at him and he knows every single thing that he's done and it pops into Isaiah's mind. He realizes straight away, I am a man of unclean lips. I've said some stuff. Who am I to say any of this stuff? And he, he sees it like kind of the rap sheet of his sin sort of publicly laid out before him. And this is, let's explain what God is like. We're looking at it a bit more from God's perspective. This is, not, this is not because God is nosy. When we think about people that know stuff, we think about our neighbors that twitch at the curtains, don't we? God's not like that. God just, God just looks at you differently to how human beings will look at you. We look at people and we see their new hairdo or their new handbag. God looks at you and he just sees your character. God looks straight in there. That is how God works. So when we gather together, when Isaiah walks into the temple, he sees us exactly how we are. And this changes how we worship. And kind of the picture that came into my mind was, um, just to sort of illustrate this, the way that celebrities, when they do something bad, like Rolf Harris or Hugh Grant or whichever celebrity you can think of, for the rest of their days, they are followed around by this rap sheet 
Do you know what I mean? You just you see their you see Rolf Harris now. You just you think of all the bad things that he's done. It's the way, kind of the way it is, and that is how that is what Isaiah's faced with as he walks into the temple. He's like, oh man, I realize as I get into the temple that God, God sees the rap sheet, and I am completely undone. Can you imagine for a second if um, if that's how church that's how church was? Like the ten things, the ten worst things that you've done in your in your whole life could be filmed and, and showed on the TV. On the, that's not a TV, what's that? On the OHV. I'm 38. I still talk about TVs. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how that would feel? Can you imagine if that's how you picked your pastor? That's what you voted on. You had to see the 10 worst things that Paul or I had done. And then you had to go, right, should we vote for him? You know, nobody would vote for us if you had to see that. Imagine our sins laid out. And when God looks at Isaiah, he sees everything that he has done. We do a really funny thing, I think, when we come into church. And there. That those doors can be quite transformational. I don't know if you've noticed this. I don't, know, I don't know if you've experienced this. I can be having a bit of a confession. I can be having a pretty awesome row on the way up there. It can happen. It's a, it's a long corridor, isn't it? You can get through a lot of stuff. Get to the, do you know what I mean? You can be really going hammer and tongue. And I can see people smiling because you've been there too. You've been sorting. You've been righting the wrongs. You walk. You get to those doors. What happens? How, how you doing? Are you all right? How, how are you? And you say, and you've not been fine for a week. You've had, it's been the worst week of your life. You've been chelping, you've been miserable, and then you get into church, and you are transformed into, I'm coping okay with life, and I'm going to smile at everything. I do this, my biggest one is parenting. Sometimes, I don't know, I need to be, if you ever see me parenting in here, that's not, that's not always the way it is. In fact, sometimes it's not even often the way it is. I'll crouch down, completely engaged with my, that was, that was naughty. Wasn't that naughty? We'll speak, and I'm like, I'm like that. I'm like, this is like public facade sometimes. And you get me out there, I'm like, you're going to bed. Or in the bin. Are you in the bin. Or, or the, like, the, just the real empty threats. I'm going to get somebody to come and get you. Something, just something awful. Like, yeah, it can be like that. And we, did, we come into church, and kind of this transformation can happen. And sometimes, as we come to worship, that can happen as well. We just kind of drop the reality of who we are. And, and I guess what I'm trying to get to think about given this vision of Isaiah, do you think, think God didn't notice that? Our worship has got to be honest. It, I've been thinking about this as well. Sometimes we sing, sing songs like Shine, Jesus, Shine. I need to be honest with you. It's, it's all right as a song, but I'm, I'm not always there. I'm not always, I'm not always in that place. Sometimes my worship is, man, I've been rubbish this week. Sometimes, sometimes my worship needs to be because I've done stuff wrong in the week, my worship needs to be on my knees with a repentant heart. It has got to be reflective of who we actually are. There's this brilliant story in the Bible where Jesus is round at a Pharisee's house, a guy called Simon, and it's a bit of a, a, bit of a who's who of, of, you know, of, of the people of the day, and Jesus is there, and the chat's happening, and then in walks this woman who's clearly a, a prostitute, and kind of everyone turns round and they're kind of a little bit, oh, she didn't need to come. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're all a bit like that. And she just breaks down in front of Jesus. She just falls on the floor. She comes in, umps in with this big bottle of perfume. She smashes it. She just makes, she, you would almost say, the people there would say, she just makes a fool of herself. But actually, what Jesus says is, this is, this is worship. Why, do, why does Jesus say that this is worship? Because it's the truth. 
She has, she has grasped exactly who she is. And she's understood exactly who Jesus is. And her worship has reflected that. It has been absolute truth. Something to think about as we bring our worship to God. As we sing the brilliant song that is Shine Jesus Shine. I'm not doing away with it. It's, maybe it's had its day. I don't know. <laughs> maybe we should bring it back with a slightly different twist. I think we've got that in us. Let's not do that. Okay. <clears throat> but our worship needs to be honest. needs to come from in here. Then we get to the part of the story. We've seen, we've seen God's glory. Isaiah's on his knees. But that is not where the story ends. The passage says, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So Isaiah's there. He's seen God's glory. He's recognized. He's seen himself. Maybe he's seen himself for the first time. He's seen his rapture of sin for the first time. And kind of the imagery is that Isaiah's kind of hanging onto the doorposts. It's completely broken. And then, and I guess we're going to go back into Isaiah's shoes for a second. Can you, can you imagine this? Can you imagine what I've just read happening to you just there? Isaiah's thinking, I've seen God. I'm, th- I'm guessing... I'm, I'm ruined. He says it, I'm ruined. I'm, I'm, I'm for death. That can be the only thing. And then this angel that is on fire takes a coal out of the altar and heads, to, heads towards him. Can you imagine how quickly Isaiah's heart is racing at this point? This is fear, isn't it? Surely this is God's holy judgment. Surely this is the wrath of God. He's seen all his sin laid out in front of him and the angel comes over and he presses it against Isaiah's lips. And he says, your sins are atoned for. We see God's grace when really we would expect to see his anger. We've got to just pause for a second and, and recognize that this is our God. God looks at us through holy and just eyes. But he looks at us like we are his little children. And he's broken with compassion for us. And what happens to Isaiah? And this is, I think, the point that we need to get to in the sermon. His heart is moved. He's clocked. He's clocked that he doesn't bring anything to the table here. He's kind of seen this this picture that this whole work is finished. My, my, My sins are laid bare. God is a holy and righteous God. And I'm crushed by that. And yet God comes and makes everything okay. It's one of those moments, I don't know if you've had them in your life, where, where you've just really kind of, you've got nothing to bring to the table. Then somebody comes and, I often have this in, in, in DIY. Often my brother races into the rescue with, with DIY stuff. And I'm just, I'm hopeless, I can't do anything. Then he comes in and just does the whole thing. And all I've got is a, because I realize I just can't add anything to it. Isaiah is there, he's got nothing to add. And where this takes him to, in his, in his hopelessness and facing what he thought was certain death, his heart is moved. I don't know what happened to your heart as you took communion just then. Again, if we've been really honest, I'm not always that good a person that my heart's always in the right place. Some, but the idea, I think, of communion, when Jesus says, as Paul reminded us earlier on, Jesus, Jesus emphasizes, he says, Remember me 
Why does, he, why does he want us to keep on doing this? Why does he say, remember me? Why does he instruct us to keep coming back to this cross? Why do we have to do that? Because he knows our hearts get hard really quickly. He says, remember me. You're going to need to see this picture of this cross over and over again because your hearts will get hard. I want you to see the way in which your sin rested on my shoulders and yet it was all completely borne away be broken again, be softened again, have your hearts melted again, and then have to go. It's great, isn't it, what, um, what Isaiah says? It's kind of in this, in this boat where he's just got nothing to bring to the table. And I really think, this doesn't sound like it's worshipful, this phrase, but it is so worshipful. He says, right, here I am, send me kind of realizes I've got there's no, there's no plan there there's no promises to do things in the future there's no mission statements it's just I'm out my depth here I get that it's amazing I get that it's life changing I get that I can't bring anything here so all I can do is put my hand up and say here I am send me if you go on and read the rest of Isaiah 6 you realize that the rest of rest of Isaiah's mission duty is not that pleasant. It's a tough job he's got in front of him. But it is worshipful because he rests in God's grace. I just want to leave another thought under your nose just as we think about what it means to worship. And I've, I've kind of got too many people in my life in this boat not to bring it up right now. Thinking about the way that this rap sheet of, of our sin laid out in front of us can just kill us sometimes can just completely stall us. And, and this picture of God's grace that just covers over it. I, I know too many people who, who for them this is too much. Knowing about their rap sheet. Knowing about their sin. Knowing about how bad they've been in the past. Knowing about the stuff that they've done wrong. I know people who I think it's, it stalls them in becoming a Christian at all. And I know Christians and this has probably not ever been verbalized, but I can, you can just tell that this, they're stalled on this point. Their sin in their minds is too great. I need to remind you. I need to show you the picture of who God is and what he's done. God has seen it. The sin, God has seen it completely. And if you trust in him, he has dealt with it completely. And the position that we're in is that we throw our hands up in the air and we say, well, here I am, send me. And when we say that, we start on our journey to a worshipful life.